This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by Emerging Markets Editor Ed Reed and digital journalist Hamish Penman. Now, Ed, since we spoke last week, have you become any more au fait with the concept of a trades fortnight? Or is it is it still just a, a totally foreign concept? No, I, well, I've, I've, I, have, I have been asking people who, who, I, who I, you know, just come across, ask my neighbour, ask, you know, <laughs> but, but, but it seems to be a, still a very much an alien concept in the, in the, in the south of England. So oh, well. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I have to cross into Scotland to uh, pick up on that. Find or... everyone on holiday. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, like, I'm finding different people are on holiday. I'm getting a lot of out of offices, but not, it's, not, it's not ubiquitous. Uh, and I see that Just Stop Oil have been very busy in your neck of the woods uh, this week. Uh, not everyone on holiday, evidently, um, but uh, but but there we are. We're here and we will get through the news of the week. So we'll start this week with Ed, uh, who has been looking at some decommissioning work in, in West Africa. Ed? Yeah, so uh, the it feels like the, the end of an era, uh, which I suppose is always the uh, the feeling, isn't it, when you when you get one of those kind of big uh, decommissioning jobs. So the uh, the Zafiro producer has uh, has, has arrived in uh, in Denmark. It's gone to Frederikshavn, uh, where it's going to be uh, taken apart. I'm sure with with, with loving care. Um, but it's uh, it's 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 been a, it's been a, it's been a long ride. So um, it's it, it was originally a, a VLCC. It got converted into uh, first into a, a, an FPSO and then then into an uh, FPU. Um, so it started work off Equatorial Guinea in the in the, in the late nineties, um, and has been there for a while, as you can as you can understand. And and you know production's been declining. Exxon has been. Quite openly, sort of, you know, talking about making an exit. Its its relationship with the uh, with the local government has become sort of increasingly testy around, you know, discussions around sort of investments into mature oil fields, as they often are with uh, with, with with super majors. Why would they hang around when they uh, those those kind of costs uh, keep on rising and, and and production's declining? It's a kind of a classic inflection point. So. Exxon has, has has confirmed that it's uh, planning to uh, hand over operatorship uh, next year, so 2024. So that's kind of uh, increasingly close, and that's you know again another another end of an era. But for but for but for this week, yeah, Zafira producer, it's 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 all come to an end. Um, it, it it ran into some problems last year, um, essentially in about September. Uh, there was uh, it, it's, it's one of those things isn't it where you know companies use these sort of euphemisms uh, and and they and they sort of talk about things like like water entry into the into the into the operating unit and you're like actually that's water on board a ship that's probably not not for the best uh Guinean government said it was a buckling incident another fantastic euphemism Again, not quite what one wants, uh, presumably from a ship. Um, so that it, it, it stopped producing its in, in September last year. It went to uh, to, a, to, a, to a local port to uh, for some sort of essential repairs, presumably to, to kind of patch up that buckling problem. Um, and now it's uh, now it's been shipped off. I think possibly my favourite part about this story, though, was the was the picture of the Zephyr producer, which is, as you can imagine, it's a, it's a sort of a VLC XVLCC FPSO. It's uh, let me just check. It's three hundred thirty-one meters long, fifty-six meters wide. So it's a big, you know, blooming ship, and it's stacked on top of a of a ship from Boscarlis, the uh, Boca Vanguard. 
Um, and it's just one of those kind of fantastic, you know, ship shipping ships. I, it's 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 just perfect. Just seeing this sort of nestled within a within a larger ship. I I always get a buzz out of it. So it's it was it was nice to see. This is this is the transport analysis, and this is I mean this this is like the equivalent of train spotting. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it does look looking at those pictures that it's. I mean, to be fair, all the old FP, older FPSOs don't look that great out there, do they? But uh, it does look like it's perhaps uh, a little worse for where we are now, and perhaps this is the right decision. So, I mean, Frederick Savin, there's plenty to get into there. Lots of people in the UK will know that name. Many of our kind of North Sea vessels are sent there. But maybe to talk about the field itself, Ed, it seems quite interesting that Exxon are out. And I was just looking at one of your earlier pieces from uh, January or February. So the government of Equatorial Guinea potentially looking to do more with this field, but they kind of acknowledge that production is not where they want it to be. Yeah, so I think, you know, as is as is the case, I mean, we're seeing it increasingly in, in West Africa, there's this kind of turnover of mature fields, um, and, and, and obviously across the world, but I think, you know, there's, there's, there is this kind of, yes, maturing fields. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem for Ecuador Guinea. Obviously, it's a country that's highly reliant on, on oil revenues. Um, and so they are, you know, kind of keen to uh, keen, keen, keen to extend production at Zephyro. They've been talking about. I mean, they, they essentially they, they say, you know, sort of Exxon's been underinvesting for years. Exxon is just, you know, kind of trending it downwards. Uh, you know, decline, um, just kind of milk in the last drops. And, and 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 really, I suppose, you know, the allegation is not wanting to put that extra work in to. Um, to kind of you know do anything to kind of tackle that decline, um, you know we're, we're we're you know we're seeing some you know some quite interesting moves around around Equatorial Guinea. There's a you know there's a I think there's a some some drilling is due to start in uh, in early 2024, which should potentially be quite significant. That's kind of infrastructure led exploration. That uh, trendy uh, acronym ILX. Um, so I mean I think you know the Equatorial Guinean government is is kind of keen to, uh, to to tackle that problem. I suppose you know the sort of the flip side to that is that uh, that sort of slightly wild card situation with the government. So uh, last week we saw uh, we saw the sentencing of, of, of two South Africans in uh, in Equatorial Guinea, um, both accused of uh, of smuggling cocaine, and in fact uh, consu- smoking cocaine on board uh, two FPSOs owned by uh, well operated by uh, SBM Offshore. Um, so the South Africans have been sent to prison. They've got massive fines, um, and, and it's kind of like a like a long running dispute between uh, a sort of. It seems like a a, a long running dispute between um, a sort of a, a civil case in in South Africa and and, and the vice president of Equatorial Guinea. So, which is to say that you know it's not a straightforward uh, place in which to do business. Um, you know, so Exxon, as mentioned, has been there for years. I think it, it sort of entered in the sort of uh, I think about the mid nineties, uh, and there was a real rush of of, of U.S. companies into Equatorial Guinea at that time, uh, and 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 obviously there was uh, there was there was there was a lot of a uh, lot of interest, and 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 also there were a number of allegations raised about corruption. There were FCPA uh, investigations. Um, some fines were handed out. SBM, for instance, was 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 fined for uh, its its one of its, some of its relationships. So I think um, it's it's not a straightforward place to do business for Exxon. Obviously, they've got that sort of domestic Permian resource. Uh, they've got that sort of, you know, obviously the the sort of opportunities in, in Guyana where they're, you know, trying to trying to reach, uh, I think, a million barrels per day by 2027, and they, they they kind of they seem on course for that. 
bringing in uh, more FBSOs uh, as 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 we speak. So, I suppose for Exxon, you know, in the face of that sort of you know declining mature asset, in the face of those kind of you know challenges around political risk in Equatorial Guinea, and 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 the sort of the appeals of other places to do work for them, it it, it seems not that important anymore. So. Uh, you know, and similarly, there they're working on exits in Nigeria, in Chad. So it's kind of like a changing of a guard. But uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting one to watch. And and just lastly, I mean, I, I don't know to what extent this consideration comes in for for West Africa. I mean, certainly in the North Sea, when it comes to there's so much decommissioning work on the go, and uh, there is a little bit of a little bit of tension. I think it's fair to say in terms of seeing assets go overseas when they could be done domestically, if that makes sense. I mean, is there anything like that in terms of the considerations in Equatorial Guinea? Or is, I suppose they're looking more closely at new developments rather than things that are uh, end of life? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think that's the thing. I think the uh, West Africa is is kind of a step behind that sort of decommissioning wave that you guys are, are often reporting about in the North Sea. So we've we've not quite reached that point, although obviously it's it's kind of a growing concern. And you know, obviously as these as these as these assets continue to age, there will be needing uh, you know kind of new investments. As far as I can tell, Equatorial uh, Guinea has not really taken a position on, uh, you know, sort of demanding kind of local participation in uh, in, in that sort of uh, dismantling process. Um, I think, you know, they kind of probably see it as, frankly, beyond their capacity. I mean, I think, you know, clearly looking at local port capacity, Equatorial Guinea, even, you know, the sort of broader West African region, Nigeria, for instance, obviously been the, the main contender really has kind of not that much in sort of the way of port capacity. So I think it's it, it's clearly something uh, that we can see coming. I think there's, there's, there's not quite been that much... Uh, local sort of political focus on on decommissioning as yet. There's, it's still m- much more on the sort of on the on the kind of construction side, right? So sort of top sides integration things like that. I mean, I think you know, obviously, we're not seeing uh, you know some major sort of know, FPSA construction that's still you know largely in 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 Asia, but it's more about sort of integration. It's about kind of uh, there's kind of uh, there's you know, Adding adding the bits on at the end, I think is is the you know where I'd see the the local content, but I think you know as as, as time goes on, as 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 assets age, as you know the um as as, as you know we see these these end of life kind of uh, projects kind of coming forwards, I, I I imagine and hope that there will be more interest, um, and then I suppose it's that kind of question, isn't it, around um, responsible scrapping, which I think you know for Exxon obviously there's kind of a reputational risk. I mean, I wonder to what extent, uh, if it was a local company, local owner, where would they, where would they have sent the, uh, the 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 Zephyr producer? Would it have, you know, got to some sort of local scrapping? Would it have gone to India, to you know those perhaps those yards that have less uh, less scrupulous uh, environmental programs? One to watch for the future, I'm sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for that, Ed. And next up, we've got a potential new player in Scotland's offshore wind market. In a world where the scarcity of key resources is starting to be felt and the impact of climate change is all too apparent, sustainable growth is no longer a choice, it is a necessity. Sustainable Growth Voice is a new online publication championing individuals and organisations that are pushing sustainable growth forward, making a positive impact on the environment, society and the economy. From innovative technologies solving sustainability challenges to social enterprises promoting inclusive growth and transformative policy initiatives, SG Voice covers the fundamental drivers at the heart of the new sustainable economy. 
Join the conversation that the world needs now. Visit SG Voice for knowledge, inspiration and insight from across the sustainable growth landscape. Okay, Hamish, uh, wind manufacturing in Scotland could be getting a boost. Could be. Um, yeah, some intriguing and potentially exciting news. Um, though I'm sure there'll be some level of trepidation about it, um, and we will come to that. But the headline is that Opogee Group, who are an energy advisory body, maybe not particularly well known uh, in these parts, but a big deal in East Anglia and Norfolk, uh, and they had a big presence at the Southern North Sea Conference recently. Well, Opogee has formed a strategic partnership to help Mingyang Smart Energy Group, uh, China's largest privately owned wind turbine manufacturer, um, as much as something can be privately owned in China, I'm sure, uh, to find its feet in the UK. So, Opogee will work with Mingyang to identify suitable ports, harbours, sites for developing offshore wind turbine factories. Um, Mingyang wants to supply at least a, a portion of the turbines that will comprise the next generation of offshore wind farms in the UK. Um, it's probably worth noting as well that that the manufacturer does have the My SE 16260, which ranks as the largest turbine um, currently installed in the world. It seems like a good thing, but I know there are quite a lot of people who are a bit irritated at the size of turbines keeps increasing. But still, it's quite an impressive, uh, quite an impressive medal to have. Um, so obviously, given that. 25 gigawatts of offshore wind um, secured through Scotland is going to be installed north of the border. That's not to mention Intog and, and Berwick Bank and other projects as well. Mingyang is is well aware of this and is looking to set up shop um, up here in Scotland. So Opogee does have a Scotland division uh, launched through a merger a, a few a few years ago. It's headed up by Isla Robb, who used to work for Scottish Enterprise. And the wheels kind of are already in motion on this. So Mingyang is in the process of setting up a a UK entity to spearhead its entry. So you could maybe read from that that this is more than simply dipping a toe in the water. Um, Jonathan Reynolds, Opogee's co-founder and manager, managing director, sorry, he said that Mingyang is quite clear that they want to do this as quickly as practically possible. They understand the timelines and the pressures that's kind of pushing all of this, uh, all of these offshore wind projects. Um, and they're quite aware that there's a big opportunity for them to, to seize a bit of this market. Now, this probably isn't, kind of as black and white and as clean cut as, as business sets up in the UK, that's a good thing. Um, I'd be surprised if there aren't a few who are cautious about this, to say the least. Uh, the fact that Mingyang is Chinese will raise a few eyebrows. We've seen the impact that geopolitics can have on markets um, and the West relationship with Beijing is far from simple. So obviously that's something to consider. Uh, there are almost definitely those as well that would question how much a Chinese company would actually care about the prospects of Scottish workers and a just transition and all those phrases and, and that's quite a fair concern to have I think what I would say is that Mingyang may not they may of course but let's assume for this that they don't but Opogee certainly does like I said they're UK based um, and they are going to have a big hand in this they could be kind of steering this ship certainly in the early stages um, and highlighting the potential of, of Scotland's supply chain. Um, and I would also suggest that Mingyang will will have to use local content, or will have to use local workers. Um, it won't be feasible for the company to just import people on the scale required. So I would have thought there will certainly be jobs if, if factories do set up shop. And given the, the size of the OEM, one, there's the capital in place for them to be to be able to open these factories. Um, and also there's a lack of OEMs around. I mean, it, 
we've kind of got Vestas being Danish on the other side of the North Sea. They're kind of making small steps here and here, but there's not a big queue of turbine manufacturers desperate to open up in Scotland. So I'm not meaning to sound like beggars can't be choosers, but just keep your keep your options open. I think don't rule anything out. Hamish, you, you said you said people don't like big turbines, and that these uh, this 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 Chinese company has is is one of those companies that can can do that. Why are people opposed to it? I don't think people are opposed to big turbines per se. <laughs> They're opposed to fabricating an offshore wind installation vessel, for example, and then finding out that the next generation of turbines are too big for the vessel that you've just specifically commissioned uh, in order to install them and for the supply chain specifically there seems to be this issue around standardization so they're kind of waiting for they don't want to make the leap in putting money here before they know that that's definitely going to be the technology that's going to be used in the next generation of turbines and it just I think the size thing just becomes more and more difficult to accommodate them at ports and to install them and things like that, the bigger they get. Obviously, you get more bang for your buck. They're going to be producing a lot more green energy than their smaller counterparts, but it kind of reaches a point, like an inflection point, where perhaps it's just, for the supply chain, it's just not that feasible and it just becomes an irritation. It it is a good point about the size of the turbines, though. I mean, it, you, they're talking about things like Intog and Scotwind, many of these being, you know, floating offshore wind projects. I mean, the, the current generation of ones off off Aberdeen, the, the, the test site, Kincardine, I think these are like 190 metre tall turbines. And the next generation is going to be, what, 300? Something like that. There's not a massive number of places port side in Scotland that uh, could necessarily accommodate that with the uh, supply chain and other things that would be nearby. So it'd be interesting seeing where they would actually pick. I mean, you could probably hazard a guess, but I'm, I'm guess at this point, Hamish, they've not really uh, indicated further in, in terms of their timeline or or where they may end, uh, indeed look to shut up shop if, if they do so. No, it just, it, it's kind of as quickly as possible um, is, the, is the message at the moment. I mean, you could probably hazard a guess at a, a few sites, especially those that might might have green freeport status um, or indeed special investment zone status. So, but but if these turbines are going to be as, as big as they predict, then you're chalking off a lot of places there there's going to be a lot of ports that are going to be simply unable to in their current form anyway simply unable to accommodate them so so you'd imagine that yeah the, the likes of Cromarty and and places like that will certainly be places that they are exploring we'll wait and see how how quickly this progresses but i mean there, there kind of seems to be this this attitude from from chinese companies that when they've when they want to do something they just kind of get on and do it they don't have the the, the same level of I wasn't going to say dawdling as UK companies, but you get what I mean. Yeah, well, that's probably that might be. I mean, that might be fair. I, uh, I, I think the other thing that kind of struck me uh, here is that we're, we're hearing so much from the OEMs at the moment about uh, cost inflation and the numerous problems and delays that that side of the offshore wind sector is facing. In fact, well, it's having a knock-on impact across the industry. But certainly, uh, at that side, inflation is a, is a huge problem. At the, at the moment, um, you know, to what extent? I mean, do we know? Is is that playing into their thinking, or are they just simply looking at that wider um, opportunity with things like Intog and Scotland, and they'll just kind of see where that plays out? I mean, if you were looking to tap into the Western OEM market, now would be a pretty good time to do it because you've got Vestas and and Siemens and that posting huge losses um, on the back of or off the back of inflation. I imagine these Chinese OEMs are facing the same pressures, but given 
given China's ability to produce large scale things far cheaper than, than than we're able to here, you can only imagine it's probably not biting quite as much. So, so that's probably plays into their hands, especially if they're able to kind of bring these techniques over to the UK. Obviously, there'll be higher costs involved in things like labour and stuff. You would imagine, but but it's it, it, I. It's impossible to know whether that is a kind of whether that is factoring into their into their thinking is the fact that the European OEMs are really struggling, um, or whether that's perhaps just playing into their hands a bit and they were looking to do this anyway. Well, maybe if the price of steel goes down dramatically and they call off these plans, then that might be quite a good indicator. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Well, well, thank you for that, Hamish. Um, and next up, we're going to look at progress or lack thereof, on Scottish carbon capture. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed, and I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Megawatt Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I know how much you guys love hearing about business summits, so I thought I'd go after that this week. Um, This particular business summit was held in the House of Commons on Tuesday by Peterhead Port Authority, seeking action on funding for the ACORN CCS project, which is the keystone, the, the backbone, whichever phrase you like, of the Scottish carbon capture and storage cluster. And it's been nearly nearly two years now since the first round of funding was announced for a £1 billion UK government competition to get the first UK CCS clusters up and running. So if you cast your mind back to, I think it was October 2021, it was Hynet and the East Coast cluster, which received Track 1 support, Acorn in Aberdeenshire near Peterhead. They lost out on that. It was named a reserve for Track 1, but in effect, it, it lost out. Um, the developer, Storega, kind of described it as running up and down the touchline, but not on the pitch, if, if you get their meaning. So in the intervening period, there's been promise after promise about more detail on the way, but it was never quite materialised. So the summit this week on Tuesday was a call for action from Peterhead Port, the North Sea regulator, the trade body OEUK, politicians and otherwise to effectively get a move on. This is, I mean, this is a multi-billion pound project and it will create thousands of jobs and you can understand where some of the uh, frustration lies. Ever been up to Peterhead way, uh, Ed? Do, have you heard of the Blue Tune? I've not been, no. Should I go? Is it, is it uh, worth a visit? It, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, it's, it, well, I'll tell you a bit about it. <laughs> it, it, is, it remains uh, Europe's largest Uh, fishing ports, but crucially right next to the St. Fergus gas terminal, and that lands about 25% of the UK's supply, and that's where Acorn is based, the CCS, uh, well, demonstrator at the moment, but obviously with big ambitions to scale up, and it makes it an ideal location for carbon capture. They would reuse the infrastructure, the the pipelines linked to St. Fergus, and store CO2 in depleted gas fields in the North Sea. 
And there has been numerous occasions in the past, since 2007, really, that Peterhead region has been trying to get CCS going in one form or the other, but it's just never become a reality. And this latest project, Acorn at St. Fergus, has potential to create uh, something in the region of 21,000 jobs in phase one, according to Sterega's estimates, and has potential to greatly ramp up. And I think it's fair to say significant frustration within the business community over these delays and perhaps by the wider community, I couldn't, I couldn't say, but one figures that that would that would be the case. And, and this summit on Tuesday outlined a lot of these concerns. Uh, I suppose among the more prominent points, uh, David Dukit, the the Banff and Bucking MP, said summer for an update on track two. That's great if if that's the case, but um, obviously we've heard those types of promises many many times before in the in since October of 2021. Uh, and the second point is uh, around investor fatigue. The the chief operating officer of Sterega, the developer, highlighted the the risk uh, of investment. You know, instead going overseas to places like the USA with its CCS programs, its uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and and its incentives around um, carbon capture. Um, whilst you know the UK, in in effect, dithers. Uh, in getting things going. So, I mean, bear in mind, they want the track one projects as the first two. They'd hope to get these up and running by mid 2020s. So what, 2025? It's not looking very likely at this stage. And then the second track, which would be Acorn by 2030. Again, it just it doesn't look like the timelines are going to fit with progress uh, to date. So um, that's where we are. In, in November, we asked the Scottish CCS organization um, their head, Stuart Hazeldine, um, about some of these delays. And uh, obviously he's not within government, but has conversations regarding it. And uh, the, the main point among a few that he mentioned was the fact that during 2022, there was such political upheaval. I think we had, I can't remember, was it three prime ministers we had last year? Um, and a change in the energy department's name. Um, you can imagine how that changes you know, with different political priorities and uh, crucially the civil servants had to fight strongly to keep kind of CCS in the funding package if you like and, and they've managed to do that which is great but you know we are still where we were in terms of getting this project going it would seem and uh, they, they had hoped for first injection by 2026 um, you know I, I can't imagine well they might they might tell me otherwise but it's Sterega CEO said last year that the longer they delay Basically, the less likely that is, and he did um, he did concede that uh, the possibility of a delay is 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 pretty strong. But I, I guess the the other last point to make there is that you know it's not just four clusters the UK is going to need. We need much much more than that. If you look at the kind of emissions profile and the mitigation measures required to to beat climate change, I guess so. That's that's where we are. Effectively, not moving fast enough. It feels like this is often the uh, criticism for uh, UK government energy policy, and presumably other things as well. But do you, I mean, I suppose you know, obviously, we, we've talked about we always talk about it. Uh, next year, maybe a new government. Any any signs that uh, the Labour Party is going to be like? Yeah, Scottish uh, CCS. That's that's what we want to put our, put our hat on. I, you know, it's an interesting point. I don't know if I've ever um, noted a Labour position on CCS. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna see if I can dig that up. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> I hesitate because we have actually seen regime changes and, and things like CCS funding get pushed back. I, I, considering how important this is going to be to to get the UK um, 
UK emissions under control, I, I can't see a credible argument for removing funding for it. So you, one would hope not. I, I'm not saying it's not a valid concern. It, it definitely is. But I, I haven't seen any, any kind of policy position from Labour. Um, but I, I'm curious Arm is coming up to Aberdeen soon. It would be a good question for him, I think. You should, you should stop by the offices. You, could, you guys could have a quick chat. <laughs> exactly. Come on the podcast. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe we could, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, 2007, £500 million venture led by BP. This was going to create effectively the, the world's first carbon capture and storage site at Peterhead. Scrapped government funding support being too slow. 2015, Shell-led project in the final two of a £1 billion competition, and uh, David Cameron's government scrapped it after £100 million, £100 million had been spent on it already. And then, you know, Peterhead Port, they're kind of saying, look, these are trailblazing projects. You know, we could have gotten this going. We could have been at the forefront of CCUS globally. And, you know, maybe there's an element of that slipping now. Um, as I say, last year, the Scottish cluster missed out on this, uh, on 2021, I should say. Um, it, it lost out in this selection for track one. It's still a reserve project. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the in, in March of this year, Jeremy Hunt said that, uh, Acorn was a leading contender for track two, um, the second round of funding. But you know, un until we see it, <laughs> these questions will will continue to swirl. But um, you know, as they say, third time's the charm, and we'll we'll see how it plays out. And hopefully, this update in the summer, which is slowly slipping away from us, will actually materialize. Uh, with that, with that keen analysis, is it for this latest episode of Energy Voice Out Loud? Thank you to Ed and to Hamish for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.